Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Hacking Your ADHD just passed the three-year mark, which I'm just amazed with. Amazed with having stuck with it, amazed with how well the show has grown, and amazed with my wonderful audience. It also feels like I was just doing the two-year episode not so long ago. You know, like 12 months ago or so. That's the funny thing about time, it just keeps marching on regardless of how well we're paying attention to it. For this year's anniversary episode, I decided I'd take a look back at some of the things I've learned about ADHD over the last three years. I'm going to cover some of the ahas and misinformation that I've had and seen. As well, I'll be looking at how my views on trying to be neurotypical have changed and some of the ways I've learned to better embrace my ADHD. And of course, I just want to mention that this episode is just touching on this topic of what I've learned because, well, it's been a lot. And I also want to take a quick second to thank everyone who has decided to join me on this ADHD journey. I truly appreciate having you along for the ride. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash three years. Before we get started, I also wanted to get a feel about how you might feel about having ads included on this podcast. Now, I want to be clear, I would be very careful about choosing who I would allow to sponsor a show and wouldn't be advertising anything I didn't believe in. I already do a bit of promotion for the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network, and this would really just be a continuation of that, promoting products and services that I believe in or that I use. So while this is something I'm looking into and it's a bit on the horizon, I did want to include some warning if I decide to include them in the show. All right, keep on listening to find out what I've learned in the last three years. Right. As I've been thinking about what I've learned with my ADHD in these past three years of doing this podcast, one of the things is that I'm just never going to stop saying, wait, that's an ADHD thing? More and more, I'm realizing how much more of an effect ADHD has on me. I know recently I had an episode talking about ADHD acceptance and learning about your ADHD. But truly, there are so many things that ADHD has a role in that I just never thought about. Now, I do want to temper this with the acknowledgement that we have to be cautious about what we read and believe on the internet. While memes are highly shareable, they're also a terrible place to really learn about our ADHD. And yet, they're just so shareable, despite the questionability of their sourcing. Additionally, we have to watch out for overlap from other mental health conditions. It can be incredibly easy to mistake symptoms of autism, depression, or anxiety for those of symptoms from ADHD. There are some interesting connections that can be found. For example, I was recently reading a study that found a connection between ADHD and hypermobility, which is where you just have joint mobility with an unusually large range of motion. Now, I do want to be clear here that they don't exactly understand why or what the link between the two is right now, but there's at least one hypothesis suggesting that it could have something to do with the mind-body connection and how that can affect our physical development. And remember, ADHD is a developmental disorder. And this connection is something I would have never thought about. I find it really interesting that it does exist, and it also might explain why I've dislocated my shoulders quite so many times. But of course, on the other hand, there is a ton of misinformation out there on ADHD. A lot of it is well-meaning, but sometimes stuff spreads despite its reliability. For example, many people claim that ADHD suffers from object permanence. Now, this absolutely sounds like it could be an ADHD issue. Many of us definitely have the problem of remembering things when they aren't right in front of us. 
out of sight, out of mind is kind of a way of life for ADHD. But that's not object permanence, which is a very specific developmental milestone that babies go through. It refers to the ability to know that something still exists when an object is out of your field of view. It doesn't have anything to do with memory. It's about understanding how existence works. I may have forgotten that I put my salad back in the fridge, but I understand that when I close my fridge, that salad still exists. And this is a fairly benign piece of misinformation. The worst that happens is that you're using the wrong label and people think they can freak you out by playing peekaboo. But it does illustrate how we can get tangled up in what the truth of ADHD is. And this means that we do have to be careful with those aha moments and check our sources. And I'm not asking us to do anything super rigorous here. Just doing a simple Google search to see if there's any basis for the claim can work wonders for weeding out stuff that's, you know, not quite supported by science yet. We also need to be cautious of stuff that comes from the wisdom of the crowd. While places like the ADHD subreddit on Reddit can be a great place to look for information, we also have to realize that they have over a million and a half members. With ADHD coming with so many comorbidities, it's actually kind of likely that someone talking about a related symptom, but not an ADHD symptom, is going to find a lot of compatriots just due to the large numbers involved. This isn't to say that we can't use these sites, just that we have to temper our expectations and be sure we're not siloing our information to just these kinds of sources. There's a lot out there on ADHD, and by understanding what we're going through, it just makes it so much easier for us to treat and live with our ADHD foibles. Alright, for this next piece, I'm going to sound a little strange, but one of the things that's taken me a long time to learn is that I'm not neurotypical. I mean, I start every show with, Hi, I'm William Kerb, and I have ADHD, and that's important for me. And I think I can be clearer about this idea too, because it's not just that I've realized that I'm not neurotypical, but I'm also realizing that I'm not a flavor of neurotypical that's just a bit more disorganized. I'm my own thing. One of the harder aspects of ADHD is that we are constantly comparing ourselves to others in truly unhelpful ways. And that includes comparing ourselves both negatively and positively to our neurotypical peers. Of course, it makes sense that we're going to do these comparisons. We are a pack animal who's constantly trying to find our place in the pecking order. We make these comparisons because we want to know how well we are doing, relatively speaking. But that last part is what messes us up. We don't actually need to know how we're doing, relatively speaking. What's important is how we're doing for us, because it doesn't matter how well we're doing compared to John down the street. It matters how well we're doing compared to ourselves. And what I've found is that when I'm just viewing ADHD like a sub-variant of neurotypical, is that it leaves me feeling like I could do something to make me function like a neurotypical does. Now, for one, that isn't a good goal, and for two, it just doesn't work like that. What's important is finding what works for me, what makes it so that I feel like I'm functioning well and having a good time doing it. When I'm doing my neurotypical comparison, I'm setting myself up to try and find neurotypical solutions to my problems. I'm sitting there asking, why can't I just sit down and do the work? I'm asking, what's wrong with me? These aren't helpful questions. I need to be focusing on what I can do. What's actually important for me to focus on is what I'm capable of, and specifically what I'm capable of in that day. It's easy for me to get caught up in the what I should be doing instead of focusing on what actually makes sense for me to do. And this is an important distinction because when I focus on what I can do, then I can focus on doing what's most important for me. This is also compounded with the idea that I need to be doing more. The reason I say it compounds with the idea of trying to be neurotypical 
is that I'm just setting those same unrealistic expectations upon myself. Now, this doesn't just come from the idea that I should be acting neurotypically. My ADHD can also reinforce this idea where I've been making these comparisons in a positive light. One of my ADHD strengths is that when I'm in crunch time, I'm really able to buckle down and focus on doing what needs to be done. In fact, it isn't even necessarily crunch time that this happens. It's more just a result of hyperfocus, and crunch time can help me get into that mode. And since my brain doesn't always like choosing the healthiest options, I can find myself fantasizing about how I should just always be in hyperfocus. Hey, what if I just completely overloaded my schedule so that I'm always in crunch time? Think of how productive I would be. I could absolutely 10x what I'm producing right now. Except that's not how hyperfocus works. When I'm going into hyperfocus, I'm borrowing executive function from my future self. As anyone who has had sustained bouts of hyperfocus can tell you, once you exit that state, you feel completely drained, and that drain state can last a couple of days. Trying to maintain a prolonged state of hyperfocus can easily lead you into burnout. And this isn't going to be a fair deal to you. The scales are not going to tip in your favor. Nonetheless, I still always find myself looking at ways I can do more, and it can lead me to feeling bad about the fact that I'm not doing more. I've been trying to work on this by trying to replace that mentality of doing more with setting goals of being more sustainable. This isn't always easy in the online content creator space where many platforms expect you to post multiple times a day just so you can stay relevant. So the thing for me is to resist the allure of the new shiny thing. Honestly, I think podcasting is the best platform for me right now and, you know, focusing on the stuff that I want to do. Of course, the issue of wanting to do more is absolutely multifaceted. One of the issues just comes from the disconnect I can feel from time. There's a big reason that I harp so much on writing out our schedules. It's easy to write out a to-do list of all the things that we want to do. It's much harder to actually come up with the time that we're going to do them at. Part of that comes from the difficulties with executive function and fighting through the I don't want us. But it can also be hard because, in fact, we don't have as much time as we imagine we do. When I schedule out my day, I'm constantly reminded about the limitations I have in terms of time that each day consists of. We can also fight this by building some time wisdom and figuring out how long things actually take us to do. It's easy to overschedule ourselves when we don't understand how long a particular task is going to take us to complete it. Sure, it feels like I could empty out my email inbox in a few minutes when I think an email only takes 15 seconds to reply to. But when I look at the actual time it takes to reply, it creates a completely different picture of how long that's going to take. By timing our tasks and building that time wisdom, it can help us accept some of the limitations we have with time. The desire to do more also comes from the fact that we just have so many interests. Part of this need to do more is that there's a lot of things that I want to do. And if I want to do them all, I have to do more. But it just doesn't work like that. I have endless lists of someday maybe and also just a ton of hobbies that I've partially picked up but haven't committed enough time to. What this comes down to is having to prioritize the things that I really want to do and the things that I think are going to have a longer-term impact. I have to accept that some of these items are never going to make it off the list, and that's okay. This is especially important to realize for the things that I'm just not going to be able to dedicate time for. Sure, I think learning to play the saxophone would be awesome, but realistically, I don't have the time to dedicate to working on that skill right now. And this is where we also get in trouble, because while I feel like I don't have time for that right now, in my head it's easy for me to argue that I'll have more time for it in the future. And this is a really common misconception that most people have, that they are going to have more free time in the future. Unless you have something that's actually changing in your life, you likely aren't going to see massive changes in how much time you have day to day. 
What this means is that if we want to keep ourselves from overcommitting, then we need to work on saying no more often, and especially work on saying no to ourselves more often. And yes, that's hard, because of course we're going to make time for that once we commit to the thing, right? Once we spend the money on that new hobby, yeah, that's when we're going to do it, right? But we know how that actually works out most of the time. The issue is that we have to reverse that thinking. Once we commit the time, then it's worth spending the money. Then we can actually follow through. If we focus on the when and how we're going to implement this new thing into our life, then it's a lot easier for us to follow through with our intentions. We need to be specific about when and where we're doing these things, which I know sounds lame. I don't want to do that step. It's boring, and I try to skip that step most of the time. And you know what? That rarely works out. Living with intention requires being specific. And that's what I want to do with my future in the podcast here. I want to be intentional with how I go forward, and that means that I'm going to have to be very specific about how I want to grow. I haven't worked out all the details yet, but I'm sure you'll enjoy them once I start get going. All right. I appreciate all you guys. Thanks for listening over the last three years, and I hope we have another great three years coming up. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end and for the last three years. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. One, there are always going to be more aha moments when we go, oh, that's an ADHD thing? But we've got to temper those moments with the understanding that there is a lot of ADHD misinformation out there, and we always have to check our sources. Two, while it can feel like we're just a flavor of neurotypical, it's important for us to realize that ADHD has its own way of operating the brain and that we need to look for solutions that work with our brains, not someone else's. Three, it's more than okay for us to do less. In fact, a lot of the time, it's better for us to take something off our plate because we often take on too much. By doing less, we allow ourselves to focus more on the things that really matter. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can leave me a message over at hackingyouradhd.com contact. You can also reach me on Twitter at hackingyouradhd. And I've also just launched a TikTok channel that you can find by searching for Hacking Your ADHD. If you'd like links or to read this episode's transcript, you can find those on the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to share episodes with someone you think would get something out of it. Just click the share button on your podcast player and send your bestie the link with something like, hey, I love this episode of Hacking Your ADHD. I bet you'd get a lot out of it too. Or you can support the show through my Patreon at hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. Sign up for the 2, 5, 10, 25, or even $50 a month level and get some great perks like monthly bonus content or early access to upcoming episodes. That's hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out Eric Tiver's show, ADHD Rewired. For those of you with kids, be sure to check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. And even if you don't have kids, his show is still a great resource for ADHD management. If you're interested in exploring issues of race and diversity in ADHD, be sure to check out ADHD Diversified with MJ. I also do a live Q&A with all the hosts of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network on the second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to sign up, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. What do you call a witch who lives at the beach? A sandwich. <laughs> <laughs>